Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and a warm welcome to another edition of Revival in Motion. And this program is all about us going back to the basics and we cover topics that often we hear about but our aim on this program is to get us to a stage of understanding and then implementing most importantly what we're learning with our guests on the program now at the time that this program is it will be a long weekend in south africa the program will be up on podcast as well so you can play back and share that link with others as well Today we're talking about something that takes us to our theme on the prophetically inspired ways of living. Today we're looking at strengthening self-confidence. As we come to the close of another year, many of us preparing ahead for the new year, looking back at what this year was with like for us, whether at school or at work or even just at home. How how did this year play out for us? What happened? What could have been better or done differently? And with Ramadan only just a few months away, it is an ideal time to take out time to reflect on this. So self-confidence is something that plays a major role in our management and awareness of self. It helps us to deter- determine our relationship with ourselves and with others. And when we talk about self-confidence, it's something that impacts us on a very broad scale. It's not just about me, myself and I. but it really impacts our relationship with people around us it impacts us on the level of family community of the ummah at large and it is important that we take responsibility of developing ourselves developing our character and knowing how important it is to build self confidence a healthy self confidence one that is inspired by nabi muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam our guest on the program today is our youth mentor youth advisor and muallima Farhana Hatsurani who has been on our program before and always shares with us wonderful gems very practical applicable things that you and I can do to implement in our lives and that's what I love her, her approach is so refreshing it is so sincere it is heartwarming and it gives us all a chance to actually sit back listen and say okay now from this how can i now implement it and with these steps that she gives us um on the program it becomes so easy for us to implement what we're learning from her allahumma barik laha walima assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to radio islam wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh tumma amin to all the wonderful duas always aprehana has the most endearing words i think you make me blush if only your, your listeners <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah accept. Amin ya Rabbi. All that you do. Alhamdulillah. Um I I know at the time that we are recording and preparing this program it must be a very busy time of the year. I know November, October, November is for um for our our teachers, the heroes uh, mm-hmm. at the front of the class and um Yeah, I'm past that stage now, but I do have nieces and nephews uh who are preparing and who have started or are starting their imtihan this week. So I I I I'm just very grateful and in all of your time management. Jazakumullah khairan. Jazakumullah. Is that a duty? 
at the end of the day, Appa, you know, I say um, this is a duty, this is a responsibility. When I got called, you know, that this interview needs to happen, I was like, I must be crazy to say yes to this. But at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about my responsibilities and what it is that I have to do. Um, on the larger scale of life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us in a position where we owe it to our society to give back. It's not, uh, it's not like I said, a privilege in any kind of way. It's a massive responsibility and a duty upon uh, the Ustads, you know, for us to give back to our communities in any way that we can. SubhanAllah, indeed, absolutely. Perhaps we could start by asking you to share with us your perspective on why is self-confidence so important uh, before we go down history? But yeah, why would you say as someone who works with youth, educating um, and mentoring in that field and constantly in touch with youth, uh, why would you say the self-confidence is so important? You know, besides the whole achievement perspective in terms of, you know, uh, why it's important for us to have, uh, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem goes hand in hand, right? Um, and besides uh, just wanting to achieve things in our life, but I found that when we establish a sense of confidence within us, a sense of worth, a sense of value, in terms of the way we look out at ourselves and the internal conversations that we have ourselves, what generally happens in, in return is um, that sort of enables us to align ourselves with our Islamic values, as well as the way we treat others as well. Because based upon how we look at ourselves and, you know, the way we treat ourselves, often and more often than not, we, we project the same behavior onto other people. So if that internal conversation is not a healthy one, if there is no sense of self-esteem, no self-worth and, and things like that, what's going to happen is normally people will develop unhealthy relationships with other people um, or in other aspects will, like I said, perpetuate or project that, um, you know, that ugliness that they feel within themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that, that inner ugliness that people feel and how they then... Um, uh, bring that to the fore and project that on others. We will talk about that later on as well. Perhaps you could take us, uh, if you may, down the lane or history lane and um, take us through the lessons that Islamic history in particular teaches us when it comes to self-confidence, please. When we look at the, you know, the lives of the Anbiya, uh, salam, uh, and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen specifically to carry out his missions and you know the tests that they were put through and I always say you know we always think that you know the tests that we have are so huge and I'm not trying to uh, make them insignificant or you know diminish them in any way or, or whatever it is but if we look at the tests that the Amiya went through to actually bring you know the message of Allah to us there were nothing. We, could, we can't even think of those, going through those tests. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only chooses his best soldiers to put through. Um, you know, he only gives them massive responsibilities based upon the character of those people and based upon the strength of those people. If those people, if the Ambiya were, were weak in terms of, you know, not being able to hold their stance with the message of, of Islam, because remember, they were going against all odds. They were coming to uh, nations, people, villages, 
that were seeped in anarchy, in in uh, in darkness, and had to stand there as a beacon of light for these people. And for them to have done that, they had to have established a very strong sense of not only resilience but also confidence, and as well as understanding and fully trusting Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to see them through those missions. That's number one. Then we know that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the most perfect leader amongst us because remember, we are the Ummah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So we want to talk about Ambiya, but let's look at our own Rasul. Um, and he led humanity in the best way ever witnessed. I always tell my students that if you Google who was the best human being to have walked on this earth, Google will tell you it was Prophet Muhammad. And he successfully reformed a society that was drenched in darkness and falsehood. I mean, we know in the time of uh, the pagan Arabs, they were doing the most barbaric things. So barbaric they were that they were burying their daughters alive. Now imagine Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam coming amongst those people and then talking about La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and teaching them. When, they, when this was the terbiyah, that, you know, we need to get rid of our daughters. We can't even think of being amongst people like that there. Although we are amongst people, our, our current situation is that we are facing, we are looking at people of that terbiya, unfortunately. And then again, Aparihana, you know, we look at uh, the story of Musa alayhi salam as well. That's a perfect, perfect example. There's so many, so many stories, but I guess we won't be able to cover all of them, right? Um, when... Uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them, what were the Bani Israel? They were the slaves. They became the slaves of Fir'aun. And for those who do not know who Fir'aun was, he was one of the most tyrant human beings to have walked to this earth. He actually proclaimed himself as God and he made people worship him, bow down to him. And what that eventually did to the Bani Israel is that it subjugated them to such a mental torture, more than a physical torture, that they no longer believed in themselves, that anything that Fir'aun told them to do, they did it uh, like, like robots. They were robotic to his, um, to his, you know, to his ways and his tyranny. And that was because of the indoctrination. They had no sense of self. That even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them from his clutches, and Allah ordered them in, um, in Surah Ma'idah, that, you know, you need to enter Palestine, but I think in the Quran it's another word. When you enter, you need to conquer Palestine, but unfortunately the Bani Israel were not able to do that because they didn't have the sense of worth within them because of what Firaun had done to them. And we are now faced with the current situation, as we all know, you know, bringing it uh, into our own reality, we are still fighting this fight. Unfortunately, with the whole Palestine situation, and may Allah grant our, our Muslim brothers and sisters' victory over the oppressors, inshallah, I mean. And then we have um, another another example. In the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Battle of Badr, let's take that for example. We know that our the Muslims were, were a small group of people and stacked up against every odd. They were small in... Uh, they were small in numbers in terms of weaponry, in terms of armor, in terms of horses, in terms of, you know, even, even physical sense. They were only 30, 313 against an army over Yet, what had taken them through? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had such a strong sense of conviction in what they were fighting for and what they were trying to establish. The Sahaba radiallahu anhum picked it up from him as their leader. And they went with utmost bravery facing this massive army of kuffar and they had won. 
So can you look at the two examples as to what had happened? And we're not saying that Musa Salam was not a leader to uh, to the Bani Israel, but it's just that if people are unwilling, you know, to fully embrace, uh, you know, their strength and look at, you know, everything that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has already put them through and even saved them, right? And they are unable to put their reliance on Allah because self-confidence only doesn't just come from, like I said, an internal conversation. It also comes from a lot of realizations. And it also comes and it's also connected with our spirituality, especially as Muslims. Because if you are able to look at everything that you go through and everything that you experience and align that with your reliance and your clean up on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, look, yeah, the only reason why I'm going through this at this point, and instead of affording blame to A, B, C, and D, and then saying, this person didn't value me, this person didn't respect me, this, da, 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 you take your lessons from there and say, Fair. I trust Allah that He put me in this position because there are lessons for me to have learned. What are those lessons? Take those lessons and move on. And trust Allah is going to take you through that, uh, through that experience in the best possible way. So it's all it, it, it's all in alignment with each other. Like I said, you know, your self confidence as well as your being and reliance upon Allah. It's it's a very spiritual take. And whenever I give these talks, you know, to ladies who come out through very traumatic experiences. Uh, and even children, but it's a bit difficult for children to connect with this, more so with adults. Um, you'll find that people who, you know, go through uh, difficulty and then they get themselves plunged into, you know, depression or they lose their sense of self and they're unable to bring themselves back up and things like that. They, it's not just because they have heavily subscribed to the opinions of others and, like I said, have not developed a sense of self, but it's also the lack of trust in Allah. They have a lot of lack of trust in Allah. And we have to work on it from that aspect, right? That look at everything that you've been through. This is other. There's something, there's a reason behind everything that you've been through. But it takes a lot of internal work to get to that point. Of course, yes, yes, indeed. We looked at different stories with you now from the Islamic history lens. Um... And maybe that can something that's touched on what I'd like to ask next, and that is, take us through what is the difference when we talk about a person having self-confidence, and then we talk about the term conceit. So a lot of people are afraid to build their confidence because they're like, oh no, but I don't want to be seen as conceited. And so I thought maybe we could ask you to just, you know, break down, shatter those misconceptions of and and through us understanding how the two are different and not the same. Mm. There is a fine line between being conceited and being confident in yourself. If your presence and your stance is able to impact people with grace, humility, patience, understanding, as well as forbearance, uh, then I would say that, you know what, you have developed a sense of a confidence in you, meaning you are able to stand in, uh, in spaces and say what you need to say, but without having to assert yourself in a negative way to say what you need to say. But and, but if on the other spectrum, if, you, if your impact requires you to be arrogant 
in terms of you are unmindful of people's feelings entirely. You are unable to hear others because you always think you are better and more knowledgeable in every aspect um, based off reasons upon the individual. And that can be, like I said, you know, an individual um, application, right? Maybe someone thinks, hey, you know what, I'm rich enough, I'm, I'm too, I'm, I'm too uh, smart enough, too, too pretty enough to or whatever, you know, I'm too intelligent or whatever it is, right, to listen or to take advice from this person or that person, then unfortunately that becomes a, a case of you being considered. So there is a fine line. Uh, it is important for us to understand the difference because at the end of the day, you don't want to project yourself on someone else um, and heaven forbid you turn out to be wrong just because you were arrogant or you were conceited. And that, that's quite a challenge, um, I think, with social media. And we'll talk more about the youth a little later on. I want to go from the confidence that a person has to address something that's so real for many, many people. And um, I'd like to give them a voice. And that is people who suffer from low uh, self-confidence volume. Mm -hmm. And people with that low self-confidence will may talk about themselves in unkind or harsh or even ugly ways. Mm. Um, you know, and this may be coming from childhood. It may come from experiences of being bullied or combination of both. What does Islam teach us about this? Um, and I suppose, again, yes, wanting to give a voice to those who are experiencing low self-confidence, but knowing, not knowing how to overcome this, how to navigate this, what would you say to that? If, for instance, you've experience okay so this is for whoever is going through something like this here if you have experienced or had negative experiences in your in your life but like you know what a lot of people don't realize that certain experiences in their life were actually negative and that negativity impact them a lot of people are unmindful of that right so you need to go back you need to look at those experiences and see what contributed to the way it is that you perceive yourself it could be something uh in terms of what your childhood space was like your childhood environment and you know the conversations that were happening around you and to you you could have been an experience that you with your friends as well and the dynamic that that had you know what what role you had in that dynamic uh it could be I, I don't know, it could be in many ways, but it is important for someone to recognize what it is that contributes to the lack of self-esteem. Uh, and then to, sometimes you're going to have to need to get help, right? It is, it, it's, it's necessary, like therapy is not something uh, that we will shy away from. It is not something that is taboo. It is not something for weaklings, absolutely not. I always say this to everyone else, that the most successful people had advisors. They may not, may not have called themselves therapists, but advisors were there for a reason. And um, you may need to seek advice from someone, seek counsel f f from someone with regards to the lack of uh, self-esteem that you have. Work on those issues that you have. If you feel, hey, you know what, I'm too, uh, you know, I don't have what it takes to stand up to, like I say, a bully. You need to understand why is it that you feel that you can't stand up to a bully. Look, a lot of the times a bully is only a bully because they themselves have insecurities. So if you are mindful enough and you are emotionally intelligent enough, you look past the bullying. You look at that person that actually has this insecurity and recognize it and say, look, the only reason that this person is bullying me is because they need to feel a certain way around me. The only way this person gossips about me, then diminishes me, talks bad about me, does not value me, is because they themselves are struggling with their own insecurities 
Now, it takes dedicated of, of a lot of internal work and a lot of unlearning and relearning. A lot of um, uh, what I what did I say? I don't know. You know, therapy as well uh, for you to get to this point where you are able to recognize how other people process us and that will help us um, and the way we apply ourselves in situation in terms of our confidence or lack thereof. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Such valid points. I'm so glad we get the podcast to, to, to play back on it and to just sit and uh, sit with these thoughts and these reflections and then work our way through it. Because I think what I'm taking away from you here is how important it is for us to be in this journey of constantly being open to learn and relearn and unlearn and to reach out for that support, reach out for that help um, and, and not to be stuck in that stigma of um, that, that mental health awareness or that therapy is only for people who are ill and what, what defines ill and what is wrong with ill, uh, you know, but uh, really to reach out and to be able to process what you're feeling and to acknowledge and give a name and a label and to understand why you are um, reacting or responding in that way and why your self-confidence has taken a hit uh, or and why you're struggling with it, right? And you know what, Aparehan, I think it's important for people to understand that you don't have to necessarily go to therapy to understand these things. But we are progressives, we are individuals, and we always have to be in, uh, you know, the space where we are always learning, like be up to learn. Um, information is so readily uh, accessible to us with internet and things like that, and as well as social media where you have people like us and so many other uh, life coaches, but just choose just choose proper ones because there are ones that are actually quite detrimental to society and then it and then it requires us to debunk all of those fallacies but you know you can you can follow those people and you can learn so much but at the end of the day um you know when we talk about establishing self-confidence and self-esteem if you look at the way uh, we get triggered. You know, this is a this is a famous word. You know, it's it's a it's a pop word. Triggered. We like to get triggered when someone comes to us and says something about us that we don't like. Say, let's take an insult. Okay, they insult us, and then we get triggered. We get angry. In that moment, it's not about what that insult was. And I always tell this to my students. If I come to class and I say you're so stupid, right, and you get angry, is that your reality? In that moment, take steps back, right? You need to understand, and this is how you build self-confidence, right? The internal self-confidence, and this is powerful because if someone can establish this within themselves, nothing, very, very little, will be able to break them or shake them. And this is how they build resilience as well in terms of whatever it is that comes their way, they will be able to navigate it in the best possible way. Now, if you look at this here, right, someone called me stupid. Is that my reality? No, it's not my reality. I'm not stupid. I'm actually quite intelligent. I have a lot of things that can back that up. So I'm not going to get triggered. I will actually try and understand why did this person call me stupid instead. So that conversation and way process things is so, so important. But that only again comes once you've established that sense of self. And if people who are struggling to establish that sense of self, like I say, do require therapy, but then by, by all means, I strongly, strongly urge you to go and seek therapy, go and seek counsel, talk to someone that can 
help you through these issues, um, you know, for you to establish and work on your strengths, your your good virtue, who you are, and assist you in appreciating who you are and valuing who you are. I, I promise you, each one of us have value in the spaces that we share. Maybe you've just not been given the correct space. Maybe you're going to have to need to change your space, change the people that you affiliate with, and cut yourself off from certain people, unfortunately, or limit the time that you spend with certain people. But you're going to have to do what it needs to uh, do what it what what it needs for you to establish that sense of self within you. Absolutely, Mel will make it easy for everyone. Amenia. I mean, let's let's come back to um, the, the the center of the program, and that is, we know that Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu was and will always be that perfect role model for us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And even through his way and his mannerisms, his the way he carried himself, his etiquette, uh, the adab, uh, we are able to learn how to build and nurture self confidence. Can we ask you to take us through some of these prophetic inspired ways on how we, each of us, can strive to strengthen our own self-confidence, please? You know, we look at um, the advent of Islam and what that had done for our Muslims in general and what it had done uh, for, for people in general. And I always like this um, example of Bilal radiallahu um, and for those who don't know, Bilal radiallahu was a slave in the time of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And his master at that time, Umayya bin Khalaf, was one of the most treacherous antagonists in that time. And the things that he put Bilal radiallahu through to try and revert him back to polytheism was unimaginable, the torture that they had put him through. And eventually when he found out that nothing was able to shake Bilal radiallahu his faith because the only thing that he kept saying in every time that you know he beat him or left him and tortured him under the desert sun in hot sand, he would only say, Allah is one, Allah is one, Allah is one. And eventually he sold him to Abu Bakr, and Abu Bakr uh, freed him as a result. And what happened with Bilal radiallahu anhum afterwards? He became the Mu'addin and the first black Muslim in Islam to have earned the title of Mu'addin of Rasulullah. Right? And that alone will tell you how Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam treated his, his companions. That he never looked at who they were, what they were, where they came from. He valued his companions, you know, based upon their respect, based upon the people that they were, based upon their value and what and what they were able to contribute towards Islam and the beauty of Islam. Unfortunately, we do live in a society where we look at everything else except, you know, uh, what matters in terms of how we value people. Mm-hmm. And we are very far from the Sunnah way. And the Quran itself, I mean, Nabi says that, you know, when Allah judges us, He's not going to judge us upon our wealth, our beauty, uh, our knowledge. He's going to judge us entirely upon our actions. And let us just take that hadith for an instance, you know, when we look at someone, like, don't value them according to materialistic uh, value. Don't value them according to, you know, the societal standards. Or don't value them according to whatever it is. Value them according to the person that they are, the way Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam taught us. Look at people, look at their strengths, look at their personalities, bring them in, win them over, sit with... You know, today's times, we unfortunately, we like to sit with people who are famous, who are well-known. We want to be seen in spaces, environments, events that gain us recognition, but very seldom do we actually go down and sit with the poor. 
very seldom do we sit down with, um, you know, with people who have been through struggles, who are struggling, and we have conversations with them because the greatest lessons come from those type of people. So we need to sit and value people that actually give us back, and we need to stop valuing people that actually don't give us value in return, meaning they don't make us, uh, you know, grow as human beings. And so it's really, really important for us to, uh, you know, like I said, work on, you know, value people according to their their capacities as human beings and how it is that they can contribute in a beneficial manner to our lives. SubhanAllah, some really, really powerful points there um, for us to all take heed of, inshallah. It's just incredible how self-confidence impacts so many aspects of our lives and how it impacts not only us but the people around us as well and that is something as muslims we need to always be cognizant of inshallah absolutely and again i'm sorry Maf, i'm just going to interject you know sometimes mm-hmm. why you like quickly quickly think of something you know again when it comes to these spaces and uh, you know the way the prophetic way and things like that they, you know nabi wasallam never accepted invitations only from the rich and the famous how many times did the uh, you know the kuffar Came, came to him, uh, the disbelievers, and they offered him immense amounts of wealth, you know, to gain proclivity with him. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam rejected them because his word was not um, upon those things. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam exactly knew what he stood for, he exactly knew what his mission was. Now, if you look at us as well, when you lack a sense of confidence and a lack of self-esteem, what you're going to generally do is that you're going to choose spaces that validate you. You're going to choose mm-hmm. spaces that sort of make that fall voids in you, right? But mm-hmm. that is very temporary. That is temporary. It'll mm-hmm. be just in that moment that you are spending with that person and what happens when you're not in the company of those people. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very important to establish a sense of confidence and a, se- a sense of self-esteem because that, again, will enable you in choosing environments, spaces, and people in a manner that is most conducive to you. Absolutely, absolutely. We said we'd come back to this and perhaps it's time for us to address this today and that is, you know, you mentioned the word trigger as well. So many times we are projecting what we feel onto the next person, whether it's in person, whether it's at work, at home, whether it's in social media or digital media space. Uh, we may send someone an ugly text. We may pick on their characteristics. Um, take us through a bit more on this. You know, how do we, it's, it's such a big thing, isn't it? How do we stop projecting our insecurities? How do we stop ourselves and say, okay, I'm not going to make that nasty comment or I'm not going to send that nasty text? Um, it, it's a tough one. It's working on the on the ego. Yeah, what, what would you say? How do we implement this? practically now this is self-awareness more than confidence this is self-awareness mm-hmm. you need to adopt a self uh, a sense of self-awareness in terms in in terms where you are aware of your behavior your words your actions your choices if you lack self-awareness what's going to happen is you are definitely most definitely going to project your insecurities onto someone else because like I said you are unmindful of what it is that you are struggling with and when you're unmindful of what you are struggling with obviously you're going to be unmindful in the way you're impacting other people but if you are mindful 
of, you know, look here, the only reason why I'm reacting in this way is because I know I'm struggling with this. Now, this struggle has nothing to do with this person. It's actually my struggle. So what is the problem here at hand? What is actually the fight here? Right? Is it about how I need to feel in the space or is it actually solving the problem? And this is why we have, prob you know, we have an issue in terms of, you know, with our marriages, with our family uh, disputes, because a lot of the times it's just ego bashing. You know, mm. people need to say certain things to certain people because they need to have a one-up on that person. And the only reason they need to have a one-up on that certain person is because they're feeling inferior to that person. Now, if that person did not feel that way with the opposite party, there would be no need for, for mudslinging, public degradation. Normally, you will find in our societal issues, you know, we'll find some really hectic issues coming, slandering, all of those things come into place when there's a lack of confidence and a lack of self-awareness because people are just clashing clashing with each other, trying to be one up, trying to be, uh, you know, like I said, score points and ego bashing because we are all struggling with our own internal struggles and strifes. And as a result, we project it onto other people so that we can feel better about ourselves in that space. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. That is, that is the absolute truth. Yes. Um, let's bring it back to one of your passions, and that is connecting with the youth, uh, working with the youth, empowering them, um, and providing them that safe space where they can um, communicate, where they can seek clarity, guidance, alhamdulillah. So as someone who teaches and mentors youth, how do you help your students uh, to build their self-confidence? Well, you've mentioned a very integral thing. You said safe space. So that is the first step, um, create safe spaces. When people in general will get down to, you know, our youth, because remember, they are, they are so much more volatile than adults. Um, when you have, uh, you know, people that are placed in a space or they are faced for whatever reason, right? Sometimes it's so circumstantial. But if those spaces are not safe spaces for expression, generally, that will result in you being unsure, people being unsure about themselves, people feeling a sense of insecurity around those people in those spaces. So it is very, very, very important, not just for educators, right? Let's use this even in your family's uh, environments. Create safe spaces for your loved ones to be expressive, obviously within boundaries, right? Meaning nobody needs to be expressive by insulting someone else or being rude or overstepping boundaries. Like a child needs to, should be able to express themselves with their parents without having to disrespect their parents. So it's really, really important. However, if we're establishing spaces where we are creating only fear with our youth, then what happens is you create uh, uncertainty with them. And then they're not going to feel uh, confident enough to be expressive or to talk or to stand up in those spaces and say whatever it is that they need to say without being disrespectful. Right. So having said that, now when it comes to, you know, uh, again, our students are not just my class, but any, any Ustad that is listening, it is important that we create safe spaces for our students, number one, so that they can feel, you know what, this is a space that I can talk. Uh, a lot of the times we'll find, uh, you know, children are going through their own personal struggles at home and you will see it in their behavior. Don't create a space where, you know, that can 
further extent for them where those feelings and emotions uh, are then you know either heightened in your space or anything like that they left your space especially in an Islamic environment because it is so important to have our youth connect with the Islamic identities through love and understanding so make sure that your space is that space where they feel welcome they feel loved um, they feel understood mm-hmm. and that only is going to come through like if you open yourself up and have conversations with them. I always say, you know, we have a certain person. I know it is so difficult because a lot of us, uh, so, uh, you know, we have to finish this and we have to do this lesson, but make time to talk to your students. Make time to connect to them on a human capacity, not just the uh, teacher-student capacity. And when I talk about a human capacity, I don't mean like, you know, uppers and ustads need to get personal with their students. I mean, talk to them, see what is what interests them. Ask them how school and engage them in terms uh, of, you know, whatever is whatever is speaking their, their interest. That's number one. Um, number two, it is so important to, you know, um, remember every child in your class has their own abilities, have their own weaknesses and will struggle and will achieve in their own capacities. All your students will not be the same, right? And I'm... You know, I always, this is why in my madrasa, I'm not going to talk about other madrasas, in my madrasa, I find it so important for each individual to be assessed according to their own abilities. Like, uh, it's not a collective, uh, you know, learning space. They all learn on their own individual pace and according to their own ability. So be realistic in terms of your expectations with regards to your students. Look at each student and see what is the student able to achieve and set those standards for that student. Don't set a collective standard for all of them. And then what happens when the one lags, right? What happens generally is now you'll see that child will have a lack of confidence because they're the ones falling behind and they're always the ones that are behind, right? So. You know, madrasa is such a thing. I don't know about other things. Shukr alhamdulillah, I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate that I, I do run my own institution. I'm able to establish this. Unfortunately, other stars will not be able to establish this because there are systems in place that are beyond their control. But, um, you know, appreciate a child. If a child is weak in Quran, you'll find sometimes a child is um, uh, more capable in learning then they mm-hmm. are in, in Quran. They're more capable in memorizing the Quran. So gauge them on that, like, you know, indulge them in that, push them in that, uh, encourage them in the memorization of the Quran instead of focusing on what they are weak at and then badgering them down for that. Do you know what I'm saying? So that is that is very, very important to look at every student according to their own personal capacity and not on a, a, a you know collective one this way you are able to build confidence a child comes to your environment and okay you know what i know how to i know how to progress here i know how to apply myself here because this is me alone with us with my appa or or malana or whatever it is and then when your child does and when your children your student does achieve congratulate them you know mm-hmm. um make them feel like you know you got to make them feel good about it and when they fail at something uh don't drag them don't drag them for that day rather see why it is they fail see what is it that they're struggling with try and be of assistance to them get someone else to assist them but assist them in getting better results uh next time instead of dragging them through that. Because I remember as a student, um, you know, after one particular thing happened to me was, uh, I don't even know, I, I, I don't know what I did in this class. And I'll never forget all this that I am so old. I will never forget this, Ustad taking my kitab and throwing it on the floor. And 
I remember this and I'm thinking to myself, the, the, the degradation I felt in that moment, right? I promised myself that I would never do that to a student. And I'll never forget one day I met this Ustad and I said, I became an alima because of that moment that you did to me so that I, could ne- I wouldn't do that to someone else. And I ended up teaching with that same Ustad in that, in, in that school. And mm-hmm. it's something that he forgot, but it's something that lasted a lifetime. I don't think I'll ever forget it because I'm now almost 40, I'm giving out my age. I'll never forget it. So Ustads mm-hmm. need to be so mindful of what they are saying and what they are doing to their students because you never know on what capacity you are impacting a child sitting there in your class. Someone might be, maybe, you know, uh, unmindful, but some people are really, some children are really sponging off you, really sponging off that energy and the vibe that you're bringing to your class. So be cognizant of that energy and how it is that you're bringing because you can either make a student or break a student in that that little time that you spend with them. So... uh, and then there was another point that I had. Oh, yes, very, very important. Avoid comparing your students with each other. That is just a no-go zone. Don't do that. Don't say, parents also do this with their, with their children. So another reason why a lot of children struggle with confidence is because parents compare them with each other. I'm mindful of the fact that all your five fingers are not the same. Again, parents, as well as the stars, can take lessons from this year love and appreciate your children according to their own strengths and abilities. If one child is an A student and the other one is a B student, look at what what the B student's strengths are. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's Islamiyat. Maybe it's something else. Again, gauge them on that day. Treat them for who they are and appreciate them according to their own capacities. Absolutely. Oh, that was so powerful, definitely. And and it's the teacher comparing students with other students and even sometimes teachers with other teachers comparing, um, you know, who has so-called better students in their class, right? Oh, okay. Is that so? Okay, I'm not... I, I'm a bit yeah. advice with that one because, you know, it's been... I've never had those conversations. I've always taught in my own institution and it's never really happened because it's always my sister and I and we actually don't do that. So that is very... Uh, that is toxic. If, uh, if that is a conversation that is happening between teachers, um, you know, because what, what will happen in that case is that now a teacher, it may not come to the ears of a student, but what will happen is that if, if two teachers, if one teacher is feeling inferior to the other because the other one is doing much better in her class and that teacher is, uh, I don't know, producing more, better results in her class and they're comparing notes and let's say the principal comes now and plays off these two teachers, what will happen is that other teacher that is feeling inferior, if she hasn't established a sense of understanding within herself, what can happen is she can project that insecurity on her, onto her onto our students. Mm, absolutely. So it just shows how far-reaching this can be, isn't it? This absolutely. issue about confidence and lack of it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Whoa, subhanAllah. We've learned, as always, so much from you today. Lots for us to take in, to reflect on, uh, to learn from, um, yeah, to, to, to set an intention ahead of the new academic work year, study year, and as well, a few months away from Ramadan a chance for us to really go within ourselves. And I can't thank you enough. Jazakillah khairan for the time. It's such a busy, busy season. Allah plays lots of barakah in your time, in everything that needs to be done, inshallah. And um, 
I want to say Jazakila Khairan for being such a gift to our listeners this year, really. Um, the amount of times you have accommodated us, been so patient with our technical, multiple technical issues, and for uh, for just being, you know, going with the flow with our topics and and contributing so deeply, so valuably to our program. Jazakila Khairan Walima. I mean, I mean, Jazakila Khair for trusting me with this platform and for giving me an opportunity to talk and share a little bit of my knowledge with regards to the topics that you've had on, uh, on hand. I can only ask Appa as well as all of the, you know, the listeners to keep us in the in our madrasa, our work, myself, my loved ones, my children, all the entire ummah, every Muslim brother and sister that are struggling in this uh, ummah. Keep us in your people's special du'as, inshallah. Definitely, Allah accept. Amin, Ya Rabb. Amin. Jazakumullah khairan mu'allima. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. On the program today, we were speaking to Mu'allima Farhana Haturani, a youth advisor, mentor, and a Mu'allima. You can find out more on her social media feed and where she talks about relevant issues. Hana Hatz is the account. That brings us to the close of this week's edition of the program, where we spoke about strengthening confidence or self-confidence through prophetically inspired ways. Join us next week as we continue our Back to Basics series. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.